This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Hi, good afternoon. Welcome to the Edge of Innovation. My name is Dan Buckley, and I'm here with Paul Parisi, and we're going to discuss some tech trends in the news together today. So welcome, Paul. Thanks, Dan. I was looking at a curve or a graph of deaths per, I think it was 100 million miles driving, mm-hmm. and it seems to have gone down, which actually, to have steadily gone down over the past few decades, which in some ways surprises me hmm. with phones and people texting true. on, on the road point. and so forth. And that's an interesting interplay, interaction of phones, also other sorts of apps, even augmented reality, in the way in which that's going to interact with driving. I think people think of it now, they tend to think negatively that you're distracted, you're texting. However, you could also be using ways, you could be finding smarter ways to beat traffic or to help you with your commute. So I wonder what that might look like in the future as we go forward with what sorts of apps or what sorts of even augmented reality we're going to see uh, kind of complementing our driving experience. Well, you know, about 15 years ago, Cadillac introduced heads-up displays. It might be 20 years now, but basically that they would they had a display mounted in your dashboard that reflected onto the window in front of you. And it had much further, they had, I think they even had radar in it so that they could tell that there was something beyond your visual. So at night, you'd be able to see beyond and it would alert you. And I think it was well ahead of its time, but I think those kind of things are going to be really, really cool and really, really beneficial. The question is, does that heads-up display also give you, hey, you just got a text from your brother, and do you want to read it now, and or do you want it to be read to you? And that's going to be an interesting question, is do we allow that? Do the laws allow that? That's going to be an interesting question. So, you know, it's there's an accident coming up ahead. Is germane to the mission that you're on of driving is the fact that you just passed a McDonald's, and it's dinner time, and you can stop there and get something or Dunkin' Donuts is nearby. Now, if you watch Waze, you know, they do that when you're stopped. Yeah, Once you I stop at a light, they can say, hey, there's a Dunkin' Donuts down the street. And so they're they're dealing through those issues. But I do think the integration of these things into heads-up displays would be a lot better than putting it to the to the right or to the left of the driver. And then they have to look at it. And that's why they use the voice interface because, you know, that you don't need to look at a voice talking to you. That's true. Yeah. I wonder about, you know, advertisers are already using Waze. Mm-hmm. I wonder if when we have heads-up display sort of augmented reality or augmented windshield, if you mm-hmm. will, if advertisers would leverage that or if they'll, you know, what, to what extent they'll be allowed to do that. Advertisers as well as perhaps services like Uber to be able to gamify driving or to be able to, to let people know to go in a certain direction. Sure. Things that might be out there. Yeah, rerouting and things like that. That'd be interesting. I think one of the things that is fascinating that I've noticed is Amazon has just come out with Alexa car. And so now you can converse with your car. I was on the invite list and I forgot to do it, so I lost it. So I'm waiting for the invite to see. But that's an interesting idea to be able to interface with a voice to do something. I don't know what it's going to do for me. I would hope it would be able to say, you know, play the radio show I want to play or play the music I want to play. That's sort of limited minimum thing. I think you're going to see, as you see with Android Auto and... Or the movie. On the you watch a movie, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, fast forward, rewind, or watch two movies. <laughs> One for each eye. Multitasking. That's right. But the whole thing is, you know, we have Android Auto, we have, I don't know, it's called iOS Auto or whatever it's called, This, the basically iPhone for the car. 
is they haven't really integrated in they have a touch panel but they don't have a heads-up display so I don't know why that hasn't happened yet interesting the other uh, idea I was thinking of is maybe you have uber already perhaps there could be other award-based or maybe something that incentivizes you to move things from one place to another or people and says hey there's these people over here if you're able to go that way you can give them a ride and maybe make some money or something or yeah I guess a rewards-based system in line with rewards maybe also just rewards good driving I imagine sometimes I see in ways it says, oh, there's a policeman ahead. Mm-hmm. I imagine that must not be popular among fo- police forces necessarily if people are reporting that. However, there's it's also... part of the game. Yeah, there's also... It lets you know, you know, don't use your phone while you're driving and also you're going over the speed limit, etc. Right. So, but it doesn't tell you that. It just turns red to say that you're going over the speed limit. It doesn't say you should slow down. Because I think people would say, who are you to tell me to slow down? To some people, red, maybe that's like a positive. There you go, exactly. They think they're doing well. That's right. They have a different (laughs) and alternate view of reality. One of the things I thought was interesting in ways is that they have a carpool now interface where basically you can expose the fact that I'm a driver, I'm driving this, and then it can start to bring together the people that are traveling those similar routes because it knows all that stuff about you. So that'll be interesting to see what that works out to be. Yeah, and I, it seems like there there are more and more cars on the road. But I wonder if and there's also a lot of empty seats, I imagine. There's a lot of empty mm-hmm. seats on the road with people that go the same ways. I tend to notice, you know, similar people on my commute. Sure. And maybe they notice me. Yeah, it's fascinating to think of that in terms of what does every individual person really need his own giant chunk of metal with all these extra seats all the time? Well, that freedom it seems to be germane to America. I mean, even before cars, you know, people had the freedom to take a horse and ride out into the wilderness, you know, out into the west and homestead. That's really hard to take out of the people. I think you almost need to break people to, to not want to do that. People enjoy their vehicles. You know, they enjoy the freedom that comes with a vehicle. And we have a big country and there's lots of space between things. And so a vehicle is very convenient for doing that. Yeah. So in terms of other changes in transportation, if I'm a a car company like Toyota, Suzuki, or or any other company, I'm thinking to myself, what do I invest in? Because there's the autonomous stuff, there's electrical, there's a number of different options out there. I don't know which direction to go in or which ones are actually happening. Like there might be a lot of hearsay and we see they're happening to some extent, mm-hmm. but what are the big players there? Was I guess what would you recommend they, the direction they could go in or how to tie these things together? Well, I think that uh, one of the things that was a bit of a surprise to me as I started to research this over the past couple of years is that the efficiency of a gallon of gasoline is actually quite low. There's a lot of power in a, in a gallon of gasoline, but we don't use it as nearly efficiently as we could. And so the idea is that if we have electric vehicles, that we can produce electricity more efficiently than we can utilize the gasoline to produce horsepower. And it is a reasonable thought to say that, okay, we put together a generation system, an electrical generation system, whatever it might be, hydropower or whatever, we're going to be able to control that and generate electricity more efficiently than we can generate horsepower out of gasoline. And also all of the costs that go into gasoline and all the negative impacts of burning gasoline. And so those are generally real. I don't like being near an exhaust of anything, you know, so those 
aren't the best things for us. We've greatly improved it since the car was first invented. You know, most exhaust of most cars is extremely clean. So it's not just that, but it's the limited resources and how can we most efficiently generate that. So I think electric, you will see that more and more. You know, we're in a hybrid era right now. You have Tesla trying to be 100% electric and it's very expensive. So only early adopters can get it. And it has that limit of a limitation to your freedom. You can only drive 400 miles or whatever the mileage is. So those issues have to be dealt with and the efficiencies will be found and the ability to charge more quickly and and things like that. But I think that, you know, as we start to look at that, you know, lighter materials means less power, all that kind of stuff is going to add up, smaller vehicles. And then also in the big vehicles, like a, you know, a lot of our fuel is used by truckers and trucks are integral to everything that we consume. And so in order to have those efficiently getting us from point A to point B is critical. So I think you're going to start to see partnerships with all of these companies that will be partnerships of 10 or 15 years, and then they will sort themselves out and they will go off and produce them in the long run. If you look at the way Japan has worked through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, is you would find different companies partnering together to develop calculators, for example. Casio and Sharp collaborated a lot on that, and they actually seeded different parts of the market to each other. Those aren't necessarily American ways of doing things. Yeah, how do we stand up to that? Yeah, but I think you're going to see some of that. And it'll be interesting, you know, because as Tesla invents a lot of the future, are they going to license some of this stuff and make make money that way? Nobody's saying they can't make money, or are they just going to keep it themselves? Everything that Tesla does is secret. There's no manuals for it. There's no, you can't repair it yourself all this kind of stuff. So it's a very interesting way of doing things. And there are other companies, and Apple's the same way, you know, but there are other companies who say, hey, we just invented a better way to do this. Let's sell it to everybody. We'll sell it to Apple. We'll sell it to IBM. We'll sell it to, you know, Lenovo. Whoever it is wants to do it. They can pay a license fee, and that's how we make our money. And that hasn't been the case over the past real 10 years. There's been patent infringements, which have forced settlements between companies. But most patents should result in a licensing agreement, not a you can't make what you're making. Yeah. It seems to me with with innovations like this, if it's a, if we're going in the direction where it's electrical or non-gasoline vehicles, that's going to take more than one company. It's it's an infrastructural change to some extent. Because if I use my gas-based vehicle, it's kind of easy for me. I know Mm -hmm. there's people who are trained to work on my uh, Honda vehicle. They know the parts. I go to a gas station, which are gas stations are everywhere and and yeah there's there's a whole market for that that skill set and so forth right. so i wonder how long it might take for people to become tesla mechanics to have the tesla parts readily available or even to have other companies besides tesla that will be part of that market and compete with tesla even based on having the licensing and, and right. being able to do similar sorts of things. Well, as you said that, it became clear to me, it's like, that's really interesting that Tesla would choose the closed route as opposed to saying to all the car maintenance people out there, all the mechanics to say, learn how to service Tesla. Now, they might be saying, you know, that's crazy, they'll get electrocuted. Um, <laughs> but still, you've got to get them to that point. And if, if you need to get your Tesla fixed, it almost needs to go back to the factory. Wow. That's an interesting thing. Now, Apple, you know, just recently announced their service provider program or authorized repair center program. They've been at odds with this and making all sorts of 
extreme statements like, oh, we don't want a bad repair to endanger somebody's life on an iPhone and all this different stuff. And what they did is they, they forced all of the independent repair people out there to find alternate source parts. So they would be getting a battery for your iPhone that was from Joe's batteries as opposed from an Apple certified battery. And so they'd put it in there and that would swell and it would break your iPhone. And so Apple was saying, see? And the repair guys are saying, well, wait a minute, if you just let us buy Apple parts, we could do that. And Apple said, well, you're not, they didn't say this, but I think what's what they meant, you're, just smart, you're not smart enough to do that. Hmm. And it's just not true. And so now, just recently, this past week, they announced a new program, which is going to allow independent repair people to get real parts, real schematics, and all these different things. It took Apple 10, 11 years to figure that out with the iPhone, and even for the, the Mac and all the different products, why is Tesla making the same mistake? Why wouldn't they say, here's how you fix it? I just don't understand that. That's a, an interesting problem is to say, oh, not only can you buy it from us, but you have to have us fix it. That's not the business model yeah. they should be in. They should be in the business of inventing really good cars and selling them and helping anybody who has one make it work. Yeah. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, Paul. Appreciate it. We'll have more information in our show notes as well, uh, links to the articles we discussed. Thank you for joining us. Thank All right. You, Paul. Thank you. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at PDParisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash PDParisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.